Welcome to The Better Way, a podcast by BuilderTrend. Here, you'll learn to simplify and establish processes that will make meaningful changes to your company and help you achieve your goals. There's a better way to run your construction business, the BuilderTrend way. Tune in this season as Pro Service Education Coordinator Zach Bratovis chats with several experts about risk management. On today's episode, Zach's getting down to business to talk about contracts. He's joined by Nick Kaninsky, BuilderTrend's expert for all things legal. Tune in for must-have insights that will ensure you have a reliable construction contract. Welcome to The Better Way. My name is Zach Kotovich. I'm here with Nick Kanitsky to talk about contracts today. Nick, how are we doing? Not too bad, Zach. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, spending some time. Nick, let's just kind of reiterate what you do here at Builder Trend. Yeah, so my title is Director Corporate Counsel. To put easily, I am just the resident attorney. Now, it's not all of the glamour that you might see on TV or something like You're that. You're taking the Builder Trend jet all around the country. Yeah, and screaming in court every single day. <laughs> do <laughs> we have to do that a lot? Well, no, but... <laughs> you know, That's good. Let's let's stay on track for this one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But uh, yeah, so my, every single one of my days is going to be a little bit different. And we're going to be handling everything from contract review and drafting to intellectual property, uh, some immigration stuff, employment law, you name it, we're doing it on a daily basis. Awesome. Well, this is a topic that I think people will be really interested in getting into, which is contracts, which we've had plenty of people have the question asked to them, can you provide us contracts for you, for us, for your contracting company via Builder Trend? Do we have a Builder Trend contract that we can give to our clients and give them full confidence that they're protected under the law for, from compliance and liability? Short answer is no. <laughs> and yeah, that was a good setup. <laughs> there are a lot of reasons that we'll get into here briefly uh, into why we don't do that. Uh, and, you know, truth be told, we want you to be able to set up a contract and an agreement that works best for your business, right? Sure. We, have, we run a gamut of clients running all the way from fence builders, pool builders to, you know, contractors building million dollar plus homes. Believe it or not, if we handed you a template, probably wouldn't work for your business. <laughs> no way. I can't believe it. I think people are just looking for guidance you right. know, about what should it include, what shouldn't it include. And the, the unfortunate answer to that question is it just depends on your business type. Right. It depends on your location as well, right? Right, right, right. A number of state level considerations to to look into there and, you know, we did a webisode, I believe this was last fall, shoot, time has just flown by recently, right. but uh, I was joined by Bill Gishwin from Minnesota Construction Law, where we essentially did like a teardown of a building agreement. And I believe there's also a blog post with that same material. Josh, if you wouldn't mind potentially linking that in the show notes or show description so that people can access that material, both the webisode as well as the blog, you know, that like I said, the key is to remember that different jobs are going to need different agreements depending on the size and the scope of that contract. But underlying everything related to a contract is the fact that we're talking about contractors here, right? Why are they called contracts? Because there's a contract link to it. Mm -hmm. And that may not be a 50-page legal document filled with, you know, countless lines of... Talk about a sales plate. experience. Yeah. I mean, go to dinner first before you hit me with the 50-pager contract. <laughs> I, I can I can tell you from personal experience, reading 20,000 words of legalese is not a joyful <laughs> evening. However, uh, you know, an agreement can be as simple as a handshake, and that actually can, can serve as a quote-unquote contract. Now, of really? course, 
handshake agreements or a thing of the past sure. with lawyers getting involved, disputes, lawsuits, you name it. So uh, what I want to really touch on is that you don't necessarily need the longest contract in the business. The key is finding a contract that's built for your business and what you're doing for your clients. You know, it should not only protect you, but also set expectations. And I think so many people see a contract as like a risk mitigation tool. And while, yes, absolutely, it should do, it should do that should you ever find yourself in a legal dispute. But risk mitigation doesn't just mean the law and finding yourself in a courtroom. It can also mean, you know, client risk and ensuring f- seamless communication and outlining what those expectations are supposed to be going into the relationship. You know, like whether you're building a fence or a million dollar home, you want people to be on the same page of what they can and cannot expect. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's just one of those things that obviously everybody knows when they go under any sort of home improvement or remodel offense, there's going to be some outline of the terms and conditions. And it's not that we want to read every word of it, but just to know generally important information. A lot of my time spent with clients is you have a contract, let's get it into builder trend so that it's easily transferable. It's the vehicle that you're sending out. And then you know, hey, they got this information and it outlines not just if we end up in litigation, but what are my payment terms? When When is the scheduled completion going to be there? It can contain a lot of things, right? Not just when are we going to end up in court? And I right. think that gives it right. kind of a, that scary, um, you know, aspect that doesn't really need to be there uh, and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, you know, your contracts can actually be sales tools. You know, right. I know that sounds absurd to say, right? Because you're handing over this. That is doc- a good looking contract. I'm <laughs> signing with this guy. But believe it or not, that's true, right? Like you want your contracts to contain transparent expectations as well as exuding professionalism and not setting yourself up for failure, both in a legal environment, but also in a professional environment, right? Like if something goes wrong with the client, that's still going to reflect poorly on you. And you don't want to find yourself in that scenario. And you can you can ensure that doesn't happen by having a clean contract on the front end that you know what's in it, and you're able to communicate those provisions. That doesn't mean just going to pulling a template and being like, "Oh, here you go, here's your contract." No, like go and meet with an attorney, build something that makes sense for you that applies in your state and your local jurisdiction that you can then hand over to a client and have full confidence to say, "Hey, here's how our, here's how our business operates. Here's how our project's gonna uh, you know." kind of be outlined along the way and here's what you should know and I can promise you nine times out of ten that's going to be a far better experience than just handing over a template and saying good luck because then you're going to hear back from their attorney you know god forbid that happens uh and then you hey, have to we're go based in. out of arizona this is from maine that's a problem <laughs> exactly and that's the last spot you want to be in it's a waste of everybody's time yeah. so if you have something on the front end that makes sense for everybody you're going to be in a good spot Yeah. And one thing I always kind of think about is there's always that concern out there that people's contracts are missing any something. Is there a right or wrong way to build a contract? I know you said meet with the attorney, but you know, I'm just interested if there's something that a contractor's contract should include compared to if I'm just going to any sort of other merchant or type of of person who might require a contract signature, a medical uh, example or something like that. Right. So, I mean, easy answer here would be like the economics, right? You know, what's the cost of the project? 
how are revisions, you know, how will you revise the agreement? If there are additional expenses, who's going to be responsible for those? You know, we look in the last year and it's been an absolutely crazy time, right? Like not only COVID, but we've seen material shortages. We've seen rising costs in lumber. Those things probably aren't going away. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you read, we might also be facing supply chain issues for many overseas materials that either you or your subcontractors use. What happens then? You know, your contract should contain those expectations and outline not only the, the specific economics, but also what happens if there's delays. You know, if what's the ideal date of completion, date of commencement, uh, you know, any kind of communication burdens that you might have, you know, assign a specific individual to, to contact with. You know, if, historically, when you're looking at homeowners, there's typically two or more, right? Who's going to be the main point of contact? Who are you the one texting to get answers? Because, you know, your project can only move as fast as you can go. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes it's dependent on somebody responding to you in a, in a timely fashion. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but I think it's worth revisiting the idea of signatures, digital signatures. I've met a lot of builders who it's like 45 signatures and every line item needs a little yeah. initial and and generally, I we I could see how that's important, but is that necessarily required, or is it mandatory that every part, every clause in a contract needs a specific acknowledgement in order to hold it legally binding? I short answer is no. Uh, however, oh, this this is so relieving. To hear. <laughs> right, right, right. However, however, there's always an asterisk. But this is not legal advice. <laughs> there you go. This is not legal advice. You know, please consult a, a local attorney. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, did I have to sign a, a waiver to be here for this podcast? <laughs> you did, you did, you did. Uh, you know, again, short answer is no, but there are going to be local stipulations in some communities and some jurisdictions that do require an additional uh, consent mechanism beyond just like a contract or a signature at the end. You know, when you're in the real estate s- space, there is a hefty uh, sure. degree of legal construct around it, right? And, you know, whether that's a county-based requirement, a state-based requirement, a city-based requirement, sometimes you'll see like real estate uh, obligations that say every single page needs to have a, uh, you know, initials at the bottom just to ensure that you've read it. Mm -hmm. And that's to not only protect the client, but also you as well, to say that you've presented this material to them and that everybody's comfortable with it. Yeah. And just in Builder Trend, we have the ability to send out proposals and estimates. They work as contracts. There's plenty of reason to be confident when you're sending those out to your clients that those are acknowledged and within the confines of the law, correct? Correct. And, you know, we get this question all the time to the point that we actually created, shoot, this was about six months ago, a little handout. So rather than having oh, really? to type up a, a response every time, we can just send over the handout that outlines, you know, what, what our legal posture is for our contracts. And, you know, easy response there is to say, look, we've reviewed federally signature laws. We've reviewed state level signature laws, at least the model, what's called UADA. And I don't need to go into the specifics of, of what all of Not that, that means. kind of podcast. Not that kind of podcast. That's right. But, uh, you know, we reviewed all of that and we feel comfortable that our contract execution process complies with everything therein. And not to mention, we've seen our contracts in our signature process tested a number of times in disputes as well as, you know, in lawsuits. And we've come out on top every single time. You know, if you ever find yourself in that scenario and somebody's challenging the validity of your contract and the signature thereon, 
we're happy to help you pull med- metadata down and say the who, what, when of that contract. Yeah. And on the flip side of this, I've worked with plenty of clients in Builder Trend where we're, we're trying to find a way to get contract language or they don't have any um, with there. Is it important to get these things into the program? Does it actually enhance anything or is the signature and the price enough to acknowledge that you're going to be receiving payment? I would certainly recommend going to go check out our podcast that does the teardown on the builder agreement. Sure. Because I think that'll provide you a little bit more context and sure. granular uh, knowledge than we're willing to get into today. Yeah. Uh, short answer is, yeah, it's always great to have more rather than less in this context. But at the same time, you don't want to inundate your homeowner with something that's completely overwhelming or your subcontractor or somebody like that, right? Because as soon as you hand over a 50-page contract, you're, <laughs> you're losing somebody, right? Yeah. Like that's just going to be awfully intimidating. Yeah. Uh, expecting your client to be aware of every ins and outs of that little detail seems a little unrealistic too. I mean, that's right. If that's you're right. just trying to you know, go into an agreement. Are there any pitfalls of contracts that our listeners may aren't aware of that we could kind of point out to them? Yeah. So I've alluded to this already, but too many people see their contracts as like a defense mechanism if they find themselves in a, in a lawsuit. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. You know, instead contracts should be about setting expectations. You know, we've talked about this. What are the economics? What are the dates of commencement and completion? What other documents are included in the agreement? You know, are you also uh, wrapping in your plans and your bids, you know, things like that. Right. And like I said, this last year has been tough. We've seen a number of instances arise that are causing unforeseen examples to the contractor. You've heard this. There's a French term that goes around by the name of force majeure. Mm -hmm. And that's basically to say acts of God who bears the responsibility. Does it excuse performance? Include something like that in your contracts because, you know, when we saw the, pan- the, the early days of the pandemic set in, and I believe I actually did a podcast uh, last spring on this exact same topic with uh, Paul Worth and the Building Code, where we were talking about, hey, you know, what happens if you're no longer allowed on your job site? You know, are you still responsible for completing that project on time? Well, a force majeure would have protected you in that instance to at least buy you a couple more months until uh, local regulations were lifted. You were able to get back. Your subs were able to get back. And you were able to continue on building, whether it was a home, pool, fence, whatever it might have been. Right. Well, Nick, one other place that we kind of see contract-type language outside of proposals and estimates are change orders. Do a lot of the same principles apply when I am making a scope change? You brought that up, and it just interests me because – I talked with that with one of our other guests in a different episode. Same concept. You want to outline the expectations and make sure they're there. Yeah. Um, is there anything about a change in scope that kind of makes it a, a different or is it still considered a type of contract? So easy answer there is yes, that is considered a, a type of contract. If I were to say the number one reason for disputes that we see, it's because people execute a change without actually getting it on paper. Yeah. And that's when they end up in court, right? right? And they're arguing, well, did you ever actually agree to this additional work? Are you actually on the hook for it? And, you know, if you don't get that in paper and have signatures associated with it, you're going to run into some uphill battles. Well, he said, she said situation. That's that's what it all comes down to. So yeah. if I, I would actually say a change order and getting that documented is the most important part of the process. Interesting. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. And we have a lot of those conversations on the phones about processing or around change orders and making sure you are documenting for that exact reason. I've shared plenty of stories myself 
large litigation cases, forty, fifty thousand dollars because right. of something simple like not getting it somewhere that you can easily record it. You might as well put it into the program if you're using it for everything else. If you're not, and and get that benefit of that extra layer of protection. That's right. And Builder Trend makes it so easy, right? I mean, it's basically three steps, boom, signatures out the door, you're moving on with your life. Right. No longer do you need to worry about chasing down a homeowner, meeting up, getting a signature on a change order, putting it back in whatever records you might be keeping. Instead, it's all in one place, document, 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 can't say that enough. And, you know, end of the day, a change order acts as a, as an amendment to the contract. I mean, it's pure economic terms. Yeah. You should be outlining those and putting them on paper. Yeah. And it just also, for the benefit of your own people, the subcontractors, the people who are doing the work, they need to know what the scope changes are because otherwise they're going off the original terms that the right. client agreed to at the beginning of the project. That's right. And oftentimes lenders are going to be curious for those as well. Right. I mean, these are some significant investments for a lot Man. of people, even if you even if you were just doing a, a large remodel, you know? Yeah. Building a house is hard. Who, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? There's a lot of people, a lot of individuals getting involved here. That's right. Well, Nick, that will wrap up our conversation on contracts. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Better Way. If you're a Builder Trend customer, schedule a training to learn more. All listeners, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Better Way wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit buildertrend.com backslash podcast to sign up for the email notifications when the next season drops and explore our other podcast, The Building Code. Don't miss our next episode where we will be discussing liens and waivers.